Good morning, my dear residents. Our Bible reading of today is from the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 1. Reading starts from verse 12 to 18. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stay up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Isaac, very much indeed, and I'm sure you'd like me to pass on your thanks to the music team. Uh, Gillian and I uh, ran through the songs together last night, her on the piano, me attempting to sing. I thought we did a pretty good job, but it was nothing compared to the joyful noise that uh, you were all making just now. Won't you please have your Bibles open at Philippians? Uh, I think it is important for you to have the text in front of you, and uh, I'm going to pray and ask for God's help as we come to his word together. Well, our Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the privilege of opening your word and holding it in our hands, and we pray now that you would open our lives and hold them in your hands, so that as we read about you in the pages of scripture, our hearts might be warmed with a renewed awareness of your love, our minds might be filled with your truth, and our lives may be equipped to serve and to glorify your holy name, and we ask it for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, the title of the message is The Unchained Gospel. And I'd like to begin this morning by introducing you to a truly remarkable woman. Hopefully her photograph will appear on the screen. There she is. Uh, her name is Hatun Tash. And Hatun Tash is a, is a Christian. When she converted from Islam to become a follower of the Lord Jesus, her family immediately disowned her. 
But uh, she was on fire for Christ, and for the last 10 years, she's been preaching the gospel to Muslims in London. Uh, On several occasions, she's been violently attacked by angry mobs crying for blood. Most recent attack took place just three weeks ago, on the 25th of July, when she was attacked uh, by a man with a knife, while she was preaching to a crowd in the open air in Hyde Park, London. The London police have consistently failed to protect Hatoun or indeed arrest any of the people who've been attacking her. Instead, she herself has been arrested and detained overnight in a prison cell for challenging Islam. Well, you can take the photo down from the screen. We might expect those sort of things to happen in Iran uh, or perhaps in Afghanistan, but in London? In a a democracy that claims to believe in free speech? To any Christian, I think it sounds rather discouraging, but since 2013, Hatun has led more than a thousand Muslims to Christ. She's not only led them to Christ, but she's placed them in churches where today they are being loved and discipled. And she commits herself to praying for all of them by name every day for five years. Friends, the the inescapable truth is that if you are a Christian, you are going to suffer for Christ. Uh, The suffering is going to vary in intensity. Sometimes it'll be full on. Uh, Sometimes it's going to be subtle and it just wears us down. Either way, it is inevitable. But it is also purposeful. So if you'll glance with me a little bit further on down to verse 29 of chapter 1, you'll find in that verse two gifts that the Lord graciously gives to his people. Chapter 1, verse 29, Paul says, It's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Now, is that not an astonishing statement? The Lord gives his people the gift of faith, that's lovely, but he gives us the gift of suffering. It is God's strange gift to his people. And it comes in different forms. So there is uh, direct suffering. uh, Direct suffering for Christ where you experience it yourself like Hatun Tash. And you'll be able to think of other examples. But there's also indirect suffering for Christ which is where you see it being done to somebody else. Uh, So when you read an Open Doors report about Christian persecution in India, perhaps, uh, or maybe you see a colleague at work being ignored because of their commitment to Jesus. And perhaps there's a third category as well, which is the, the suffering of personal hurt that we might experience, even at the hands of another Christian, perhaps somebody we're really close to. 
it's actually a little bit different to the other two categories. Uh, when it's direct or indirect, uh, that's suffering because somebody is a Christian, because of that. But the suffering of personal hurt comes in spite of someone being a Christian. And it's usually caused, actually, by another believer. And it can be the most painful of all. So this might be the Christian who feels that they're always being overlooked when it comes to being given opportunities to serve at church. Or perhaps that their ministry is never recognized. Now this morning we're continuing in our series working through Paul's letter to the Philippians. Uh, We've already seen that the apostle is locked up in prison in Rome, 800 miles away from the church he loves so much. And he describes the Christians there as gospel partners with him. Last Sunday morning, we saw that being a gospel partner confronts loneliness. And we we saw that's really encouraging after the last 18 months of separation and isolation and lockdowns. And this morning, we're going to see that being a gospel partner confronts suffering. There is very real suffering in this little passage. And as we look at the text together, I want you to listen out for anything that sounds to you like Christian suffering. It's only a short passage, but it's full of surprises. And you can summarize all of them in one key sentence. Here it is. God redirects suffering to advance the gospel. What I mean is that throughout the passage we can detect God's sovereign hand at work behind the scenes, working through people who are completely unaware that God is using them to accomplish his gospel purposes. So God does it here with the prison guards. He does it with these egotistical preachers that we're going to see a bit later. And all the while, Paul is teaching us that, surprisingly, Miraculously, providentially, God redirects suffering to advance the gospel. So let me draw your attention to three surprises in the text that shows us how this works in practice. Surprise number one. Paul's chains advance the gospel. Paul's chains advance the gospel. Come with me, please, to verse 12. Paul writes, Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Now, let's start with Paul's words there in verse 12 where he says, what has happened to me? Well, what has happened (coughs) to Paul? Well, he used to be called Saul. Uh, He used to be a merciless persecutor of Christians. But of course, he was dramatically converted to Christ on the Damascus Road. Since then, he's been Paul the Apostle. 
He's been preaching in synagogues wherever he goes, debating with hundreds of people in the lecture hall at uh, Ephesus. He's evangelized some of the sharpest minds in the ancient world on Mars Hill in Athens. He's become a visionary church planter and a tender pastor-teacher. He's become an enthusiastic witness for the Lord Jesus who saved him. And he's traveled tirelessly all the way around the Mediterranean, taking the gospel to places that no one had reached before. But what has also happened to Paul is that he's been thrown in prison. And when that happens, it seems like the ministry of this super energetic, hugely effective Christian worker has ground to a halt. One writer compares putting Paul in prison to taking a concert pianist and tying their hands behind their back just as the concert is about to begin. Or if you prefer a sporting analogy, it's rather like breaking your favorite tennis racket half an hour before a Grand Slam final. As far as Paul's ministry is concerned, at this point it looks like it's, it's finished. So friends, verse 12 is a surprise. I think we might read verse 12 and think surely that's a misprint. Surely what Paul meant to say was, well, what has happened to me has really served to silence the gospel. We might expect him to be discouraged and to have given up, but no. Paul actually says, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. It is a massive surprise. He's not saying that what's happened to me has the potential to do some good or what's happened to me needs to change, so please pray that God would improve my circumstances. He doesn't say that. He says what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. It's exactly the opposite of what we would expect because everybody knows that uh, the gospel can't possibly advance when the star evangelist is banged up in prison. But you see, everyone's wrong. And that's why the apostle can also write in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 9, I'm suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal, but God's word is not chained. And so he explains what's been going on. Look down at verse 13. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. So how has the gospel been advancing in Rome with Paul behind bars? Well, apparently Paul continued witnessing. The Philippians should probably have been the first ones to work out what was happening because in Acts chapter 16, you don't need to turn to it, but in Acts 16, when Paul and Silas were in prison in Philippi, we're told there that they passed the time singing gospel songs. Under the circumstances, it was rather a strange thing for them to do. No doubt, everyone in the church at Philippi heard about that, perhaps from the Philippian jailer, we don't know. 
Whether Paul's imprisonment in Rome involved singing or not, we're not told. But evidently, news was spreading around the Roman jail that the prisoner, who was always talking about Jesus, was the Apostle Paul. And the entire palace guard has heard about it. Now, it's interesting to know that historical records tell us that the entire palace guard numbered 9,000 soldiers. And it's not just them, because in verse 13, Paul says, everyone else has heard as well. Presumably that includes his fellow inmates. Maybe the news has even reached the Christian community outside the prison in Rome. They've all heard about why Paul was in jail. Why was he in chains? He was in chains for Christ. Now, literally, the original language there is that he was in chains in Christ. So it's almost like Paul was in prison inside a bubble called Christ. Yes, Paul was in prison, but he was in Christ in prison. Everybody knew that Jesus was everything to Paul. He was tied up in Jesus. His whole identity was in Christ. And it's a massive theme that keeps coming up again and again throughout the letter. He was in Christ, in union with Christ, because he'd been saved by Jesus. So he loved Jesus. Christ had gone before him and suffered ahead of him and for him. And now Paul was suffering in union with his suffering saviour. But he was full of hope, you see, because Christ, who had suffered before him, had also been raised from suffering to victory. And Paul is united with Christ in every single aspect and detail of that experience, the suffering now and the victory to come. So he he wants to surprise his Philippian friends and you and me this morning that his chains have served to advance the gospel. Why has that happened? Because the gospel is so good, so precious, so essential for everybody that God in his goodness chose to put Paul in prison in Rome to ensure that the gospel would reach one of the darkest hardest, most dangerous places on earth. Which means, dear friends, that whatever direct suffering you and I might experience for being followers of Jesus, it can advance the gospel. Now, I understand that when the suffering hits, it seems like that's actually the last thing on earth that is likely to happen. And I'm not for a moment suggesting that Being in chains was easy for Paul. I imagine that being in a Roman prison was a pretty ghastly experience. But I am saying, friends, that when we're refused a promotion at work because we won't sell our soul to the company, or our friends ignore us because we won't go on the big drinking sessions with them, 
or we decide to remain single for a season rather than date a non-Christian because we want to stay faithful to Christ, that is the kind of suffering for Jesus that God can redirect to advance the gospel. How that's going to happen, of course, will depend on the particular type of suffering we go through. But I guess at one level, enforced sacrifices for Jesus might mean we have a little bit more time on our hands. We're all so busy these days, aren't we? Suddenly having a little bit more time makes it possible for us to pray more, to invest more time in relationships where we can speak about Jesus. It might mean getting the attention of our non-Christian friends who are watching what's happening. Normally, they're not in the slightest bit interested in the gospel. But suddenly, they see that you're suffering, and what you do with it gets their attention. They see you taking the hit, and they can't quite understand it. And it gives you the opportunity to explain why your ultimate allegiance is to Jesus. So friends, amazingly, surprisingly, Paul's chains didn't silence him. They didn't cause him to despair. They advanced the gospel. And that's the first big surprise in Philippians 1. But there's a second surprise in verse 14, which is seeing Paul's chains encouraged evangelism. Seeing Paul's chains encouraged evangelism. Look at verse 14 with me. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. So, get the picture. Verses 12 and 13 describe Paul's direct suffering. But verse 14 is indirect suffering, isn't it? That's when you see somebody else suffering for Jesus. And once again, can I suggest that verse 14 also looks like another misprint? Because what we would expect verse 14 to say is, because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have gone underground or denied that they know me or they've emigrated to Australia. Anything to stay out of trouble. But no. Paul says, because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. These men might perhaps have been other Christians in prison, or he might be talking about the Christians outside prison who knew what had happened to him. Maybe they belonged to the church at Rome that Paul writes to elsewhere in the New Testament. Whoever they were, seeing Paul in chains had precisely the opposite effect from what you might expect. We expect them to keep quiet. Instead, they speak up boldly and without fear. They can't stop speaking about Jesus. No one's forcing them. They want to do it. 
So friends, verse 14 is full of daring courage. It's showing us people with real backbone, or if you like, gospel guts, who've got kind of a death-defying confidence in proclaiming the word of God. Now friends, that is what gospel partners will do. And as a result, the gospel has been advancing. He's already said that in verse 12. Verse 14 is telling us how that came about. It's advancing behind bars through Paul and the other believers, and also outside, in the open air, through Christians in the church at Rome. It would have been so easy, wouldn't it, for those Christians in the church to have done nothing, to maybe have heard about Paul's situation and literally done nothing about it. They could so easily have been paralyzed with fear. And we know perfectly well today, don't we, in our own experience, that as soon as anybody starts talking about the exclusive claims of Jesus Christ, the politically correct movement jumps on them. And in Rome, if you started talking about the arrival of a new king, well, you had the entire empire on your back. But you see, watching Paul's faithfulness his witness, his gospel courage, has convinced these people to join the team. It is a huge surprise. And it happened because they were gospel people. And you see, friends, it's only the gospel that will give you the metal to talk about Christ when it could cost you your friends, your freedom, or even your life. But you see, When a person knows, really knows, that the gospel of grace has saved a wretch like me and that I would have no hope without it, when I actually know that to be true, I quite naturally want to share it with others, even if the consequences of doing so might be painful. See, it's it's only the gospel that, that draws you that attracts you to a suffering Christian so that against all your instincts you find yourself saying, I want to be like them. Only the gospel can do that. And here, that was the response of the Roman Christians to indirect suffering. They saw a fellow Christian suffering and they were motivated to get out there and do it for Jesus themselves. It sounds illogical, counterintuitive, but that is the gospel response because God redirects suffering to advance the gospel. The supreme example, of course, is Jesus himself, isn't it? So keep one finger, please, in Philippians and travel with me to the book of Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. And we'll pick it up at verse 27. While you're turning there, let me tell you what's happening. The authorities in Jerusalem uh, are putting intense pressure on the Christians to shut up about Jesus. So the Christians get together and they have a prayer meeting, very sensible response. We'll pick it up in the middle of the prayer at verse 27. Acts 4, verse 27. Herod and Pontius Pilate 
met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. So pause on that. There's the suffering. It looked like the most powerful people in the ancient world had brought the ministry of the Lord Jesus to a grinding halt. But, verse 28, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Do you see? You know, the suffering of the Lord Jesus was appalling, wasn't it? Can we all agree that no one has suffered more than Jesus Christ. But it was always under God's control and it achieved the very opposite of everything that the enemies of Christ intended. Because far from being intimidated, when these Christians remembered the example of the Lord Jesus and his suffering, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Well, come back to Philippians. Because when we put the first two surprises together, we find that not only do Paul's chains advance the gospel directly, but seeing Paul's chains encouraged evangelism because that's what the gospel does through gospel people. And there's a third surprise in the passage, which is that Rival preachers made Paul rejoice. Rival preachers made Paul rejoice. Verses 15 to 18. Look down with me, please, at verse 15. Paul says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. So in verse 14, uh, we've seen that most of the brothers... Seeing Paul's chains were encouraged in their evangelistic endeavor. Well, those evangelizing brothers in verse 14 fall into one of two camps. So, for simplicity's sake, let's call them on the one hand the loving preachers, and on the other hand the rival preachers. First, the loving preachers. What was their motive? Well, we're told that they were preaching Christ out of goodwill. They love the Lord, and because they love the Lord, they love his servant, Paul. So they preach in love, and they're not ashamed to be identified with the apostle. You know, there may be people saying that Paul has been disgraced beyond recovery. 
but they know that he's been placed there by God for gospel purposes. So they're perfectly happy to be identified with him. On the other hand, the rival preachers can't stand him. There is some debate about who these rival preachers were. I don't think their identity is the key issue. It's their attitude. And they're preaching Christ out of, notice the words, envy and rivalry and selfish ambition. In other words, there is no integrity whatsoever in their motivation. They simply want to stir up trouble for Paul while he's in chains. Perhaps they think they can provoke Paul by showing how much gospel work they can do while he can't do anything at all. Or maybe they're trying to make a name for themselves as a sort of new generation of dynamic church planters. And they're saying, you know, move over, Paul. Uh, We're going to show you how it's done. Uh, We've had the training. We've been to the international ministry conferences. We've got some seriously wealthy people behind us. So, Paul, your history. Uh, Nobody's going to listen to you anymore. It's all about us. So there were the loving preachers. And there were the rival preachers. Now what does Paul say about this? Does he say that he rejoices about the loving preachers but feels desperately hurt by what the rival preachers are doing? No, he doesn't. And once again, there's a surprise, verse 18. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Just think about that. I mean, it was bad enough being in prison, wasn't it? But he's also been marginalized. Uh, People have been bad-mouthing him. Brothers in the Lord, no less. But instead of being devastated, Paul says, who cares? You know, you can throw the mud at me if you like. You can leave me out in the cold. As long as you're preaching Christ, no matter what your motives are, I rejoice. You're trying to wind me up, but I'm actually loving it that you're preaching Christ. You wanted to upset me, but what you've actually done is given me every reason to rejoice. See, friends, Paul's very identity was in Jesus. Jesus was everything to him. His saviour, his lord, his master, his friend. Jesus was his forgiveness, his righteousness, as we'll discover in chapter 3. In short, Jesus was his life. Everything in Paul's life was focused on Jesus and making Jesus known to others because he knew and he knows that Jesus is the only hope for humanity. So as long as preachers are making Jesus known, Paul rejoices even if their motives are all wrong. I think that is an absolutely stunning verse. And I say that because when we read Paul's letters to Timothy and Titus, we find that Paul places considerable emphasis on the character of gospel workers. In those letters, there's actually very little about gifting mostly about heart and attitude and character. 
But amazingly, astonishingly, if there is one thing that's even more important than a Christian worker's character, it is the possibility that some people might never hear about Jesus. Now don't mishear me. Paul's not actually turning a blind eye to the motives and character of these rival preachers because he names what they're doing. He names their sin, their false motives. And he knows perfectly well that those men are one day going to have to give an account before the Lord Jesus Christ. But the point is that even if their motivation is all wrong, even if they're being divisive and malicious, if the gospel of Jesus is being preached, we've got to rejoice. I don't doubt for a moment that Paul suffered considerable personal hurt because of the way these people were doing their ministry. But you see, as we've been learning together this morning, God redirects suffering to advance the gospel. I close with two applications. The first is a challenge. The challenge for us is that when we feel personal hurt because of the way that another believer is treating us or speaking about us, perhaps in order to make themselves appear to be a more effective servant of the Lord, uh, or a better teacher with a more significant ministry. As long as Christ is being preached, we are to rejoice. I know that in our brokenness and fallenness, all of us want to be recognized in some way. Certainly how it is for me. Um, you know, there's a part of me that's just waiting for Don Carson to give me a call and ask me to come and speak at one of his conferences. I'm still waiting. It hasn't happened yet. And in different ways, all of us want to be at the center of the action. But Paul is teaching us that as long as Christ is being preached by someone and people are hearing about Jesus, we should rejoice. That's the challenge. But there's also an encouragement, a lovely encouragement for us to take away this morning. You see, when we read about these rival preachers and their terrible motives, it's very tempting to think, well, why doesn't Paul lay into them? I mean, surely evangelists shouldn't be on the road while they've still got their godliness L-plates on and they're so incredibly self-focused. Surely they need to sort themselves out before they begin to serve, shouldn't they? But Paul doesn't say that. He says, what does it matter? Which in the original language is a very, very strong statement. The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true Christ is preached, and because of that I rejoice. Now friends, at one level, your motives and mine are important. Of course they are. But at another level, Paul is saying, just get the gospel out. So friends, let's do that. Let's get the gospel out. Are your motives warped? Well, get the gospel out anyway. Are you worried, perhaps, about your heart attitude? Get the gospel out anyway. 
You know, if you wait until your motives are pure and your heart attitude is perfect before God, I can tell you that you will be waiting a very long time indeed. You might never get started. Now, that's not to say God isn't going to be working on our motivation and our attitude. Paul's got more to say about that a bit later in the letter. But in the meantime, Paul would rejoice even at our weakest and most self-centered efforts at evangelism. So wherever your heart is this morning, don't think that you've got to clean yourself up before you start talking to other people about Jesus. God is going to be quietly working on your character behind the scenes. Your job and my job is to get the gospel out. And this morning we've put a tract on your chairs to help you do that called Two Roads. It's an excellent little tract. If you haven't got a copy for some reason, come and see me afterwards. So, friends, let's pull this all together as we close. We've seen that the, there was plenty of suffering, plenty of suffering in Paul's ministry. There was the direct suffering of Paul being locked up in prison and the temptation to give up on gospel ministry. The other Christians in Rome experienced the indirect suffering of watching what was happening to Paul with the temptation to be afraid and say nothing. And Paul also suffered the personal hurt from rival preachers with the temptation to give way to bitterness and jealousy. Yes, there was plenty of suffering. But God was always at work to hijack the suffering and use it to advance the gospel so that more people would hear about Jesus and be saved. Now, some of you this morning, I know, are suffering a lot. It hurts. It feels overwhelming. And perhaps the idea that God might redirect that suffering to advance the gospel sounds almost unbelievable. So friends, as we reflect on this passage together this week, either on our own or in our home groups, let's remember that God doesn't change. What God did then, he's still doing today. So let's take this passage in God's word and use it to encourage one another to get the gospel out. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for reminding us that when we experience suffering for being followers of Jesus, that you redirect that suffering to advance the gospel. So help us, we pray, to encourage one another through the hard times and to work together to get the gospel out so that as many people as possible hear about the Lord Jesus. For it is in his name that we ask it.